Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. Our main guest today is the governor of the Commonwealth, Andy Bashir. It has been a tough summer with historic and deadly flooding in eastern Kentucky, but the comeback is also a remarkable story. Last month, the governor called the state legislature to Frankfurt and in a quick three-day session, they passed a more than $212 million flood relief package. The November election is approaching. Voters will face key races on the ballot. They will also decide whether to amend the state constitution on abortion and allowing the legislature to call itself into special session. It also looks like cost of living adjustments for those who receive state pensions will be a push in the session ahead. And next year, Governor Bashir will be seeking re-election as he watches the crowded Republican primary grow even more so. We welcome the governor of the Commonwealth to Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Bill. First to uh, the historic flooding, Governor, and all the damage in eastern Kentucky. The losses are profound. The lives lost, of course, are irreplaceable. But are you satisfied with the progress being made in the region to, uh, to come back from all of this? Well, I won't be satisfied until uh, every life is rebuilt uh, and everybody has uh, a permanent roof over their head and a bright future in front of them. Now, this level of flooding is unprecedented. Uh, folks that live in the area are used to a little bit of flooding, but no one had ever seen anything like this. It's taken 39 lives, all children of God, irreplaceable in their communities. We grieve with them, and our team, Eastern Kentucky Flood Relief Fund, has paid for every one of those funerals. But it's also left thousands without anything other than the clothes on their back. Now, right now, we're working on getting them stabilized. But let me say, before that happened, think about 1,400 rescues by the National Guard, the Kentucky State Police, first responders everywhere, an unprecedented natural disaster, but also an unprecedented emergency response. We got a lot of work ahead. This rebuild is going to be one of the toughest we have ever seen across America. But listen, we are tough as Kentuckians. I saw this. Uh, quote the other day that said, God saves his toughest challenges for his strongest soldiers. You know, we love each other in this state. We open our hearts and our homes to one another. Uh, we're going to make it and we're going to rebuild. Uh, Governor, were, were you uh, amazed and, and somewhat surprised at the ability of the, of the National Guard and, and the other first responders involved to perform those kind of rescues, to uh, literally lift people up uh, into choppers uh, in baskets and, and that sort of thing? I mean, we all know they go and, and do their drills and their training, but I think people were amazed uh, by what they saw. It is incredible and heroic. Now, I get to see uh, that group. Uh, many of them fly out of either uh, Frankfurt or, or Louisville more often than most. But we have the best National Guard in the country, bar none. It's why we got the new C-130 wing out uh, at Louisville that most uh, National Guards didn't get. And just to watch them and the Kentucky State Police uh, save person after person. And a big thanks to Tennessee's National Guard and West Virginia's National Guard. Now, I know we're number one, but they saved a lot of people, so I'm happy with them being number two and three. You called the legislature into a special session, and they answered and quickly passed a more than $212 million flood relief package that Senate President Robert Stivers is calling a, a good start on helping the region. Do you believe that substantially more will have to be spent by the state in flooded areas uh, to return people to their schools and, uh, and homes and, and, and get the transportation routes restored? I do. 
just the damage to water and wastewater systems alone uh, is staggering. But let me say we saw something uh, in Frankfurt that we haven't seen in a long time. And that was a special session that wasn't bipartisan, it was nonpartisan. And we've seen that every day uh, in response to this flooding. People working together. I was with Senator Brandon Smith and Representative Chris Fugate uh, yesterday uh, in, in Hazard. Uh, again, working together to get the very best results. We're seeing the very best of our people in this response, putting everything that divides us aside and really just showing love and, and, and true love for one another. Uh, again, this is, it's such a challenge. You look at somebody who lived on the other side of what we call a creek, people outside of Kentucky might, might call it a little river, um, just the bridge to their property, probably averaged about $55,000 to replace, totally wiped out. And the FEMA maximum is about $37,900. So you already see the challenge there before the housing piece. And then we don't want people to go back to a place that's dangerous if we know it has a chance of massive flooding again. So the rebuilding effort going forward is right now getting people stabilized in travel trailers, getting a roof over their head. They know they can stay there six months to a year or more while the rebuilding occurs. And then running the utilities to permanent locations where uh, we can build housing where you will never or should never flood, where maybe you can walk your kids to school. We can have a senior housing uh, complex on site too. Opportunities for your kids, maybe a medical clinic. Uh, we're gonna have to rebuild towns that coal companies built you know, 100 plus years ago. Uh, again, one of the most challenging things anybody has ever seen, yeah. but every single person we talk to is committed and I haven't heard politics get in the way once. And, and despite the optimism to, to do things a better way going forward, there are real concerns, Governor, about further depopulation in eastern Kentucky. Uh, others who will not be, as you said, able to return to flood-prone areas. Uh, there is this opportunity to build things better than before. Do you think eastern Kentucky can strike the right balance and possibly not uh, see this uh, population continue to leave the region uh, as quickly as they have been in recent years? We have to get it right. We have to rise to this challenge, and even if it's something nobody has ever seen done before, uh, we've got to be the first. Eastern Kentucky has seen far too much depopulation. These are people that love their home and their region, and this is a part of Kentucky. We only succeed if Eastern Kentucky succeeds. So two things we have to do. Number one, we've got to get more stable housing in areas that will not flood, and number two, we got to bring new jobs to the area. When you look at the tornadoes that hit western Kentucky, you know, it decimated a number of towns, including Dawson Springs, where my family is from. That was a safe place for me. It knocked out 70% of the housing and built the number one concern I had was nobody was going to move back. But we just announced a giant battery supplier just on the other side of the Penny Rile in Hopkinsville. It is going to ensure because those jobs are going to service the whole region, 300 plus good jobs that the town of Dawson Springs is going to survive. Over 400 jobs have been announced in Graves County since that tornado hit Mayfield. We got to make sure the same thing happens in eastern Kentucky. You know, this has knocked us down. We got to get up and we got to make sure it doesn't push us backwards. So we deal with the challenges of today and we build a bright future for tomorrow and we have to do them both at the same time. 
I do want to talk about the state's overall economy, and you jumped to the uh, Bowling Green plant, $2 billion investment. Are car batteries a future avenue for Kentucky's economy? And do you have any concerns when you see, for instance, in California where, you know, they're having a problem with the grid? I mean, we've got a lot of work to do uh, to, to get the country to a place where we're, we're able uh, from an infrastructure standpoint to, to be able to, uh, to, to really go uh, to, to more electric vehicles, right? Well, I'm thrilled where our economy is going because we're not only creating a record number of jobs. Last year, 18,000 new jobs, which is a record for any one year. This year, I think we're going to set the record for the second best year in job creation. And you look at where these jobs are. Again, they're industries of the future. We know that electric cars are the future. And since I've become governor, we've had over $9.2 billion of investment uh, in, in that industry. Those are uh, Ford and SK at $5.8 billion, Envision at $2 billion. Those are just the main manufacturers. You look at everybody else who is also Firestone in Whitley County adding 200 plus jobs in the area uh, as well. And we're up to the task. Now we've got more infrastructure money, both in our current budget coming from the state side. That's because we've had the two biggest budget surpluses in our history and the biggest revenue growth in 31 years. That gives us the flexibility we need. And then we have the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act uh, coming at the perfect time. For instance, we've already submitted our plan on, on electric vehicle charging stations. If we're gonna build the nation's batteries, we need to be able to charge them right here in Kentucky. And then we're working with our utilities. Uh, to make sure that we can meet the needs out there. And they are great partners. They're great partners in economic development. And we're even developing a better partnership with TVA. That's been one that's been challenging in the past. So we can get it done. And what's exciting is we're leapfrogging a lot of other states' economies while we do it. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, if the, if the state government does everything right and does provide the, the setup for all of this uh, to, to go through, does Kentucky have the workers in place? Can we provide the personnel that these plants will need to succeed? We right now have tens of thousands of open jobs uh, here in Kentucky that, uh, that employers can't fill. Well, we're going to meet this challenge too. And Bill, I keep thinking back to uh, April of 2020 uh, when uh, the pandemic was brand new and uh, we didn't know what our economy would look like and how long it would take to bounce back. And if somebody had told me then, that we would have record-setting economic development and our main challenge would be filling great jobs, I would have said, deal. We will take that challenge any day, and we're taking it head on. A couple of drivers are, are impacting our, our employment in Kentucky right now. The first one that no one talks about is the baby boomers are retiring, and they are the largest generation on planet Earth. That's my dad uh, and others. And so there is going to be a period of adjustment in Kentucky. We also uh, aren't healthy enough. Uh, we have too many people on disability. But with that said, we have got plans in place uh, right now from our Everybody Accounts uh, initiative that we are expanding where we're gonna aim to not lose one high school graduate. Either we'll get them in higher education, which I fully support, or we will put them directly in a new job before uh, they graduate. The other thing that we've got is the best kind of tiered system of job training. So we're putting $270 million in career and technical programs in our high schools. So right now you can go through one of those, come out and have a job where you can support a whole family as your entry level 
uh, job. Second piece, we got our community colleges. And we got to work better to directly connect those with employers so you know what your job's going to be when you sign up for the program. Then the third piece are our universities that do such a good job but need more uh, direct connection, especially on engineering and others with these major businesses that are coming in and we're doing that right now. Great thing is we've got the bones in place better than most states. We just got to make the adjustments and be innovative and we're going to do it. Governor, let me ask you this. Kentuckians are struggling with inflation and those who receive state pensions haven't gotten a raise in years. The current law says that they can't as long as the pension funds are not fully funded. And it looks like that could be, you know, 25 years or so away, uh, assuming that uh, the, uh, the current plans work out. Do you support a change that would give them a, a cost of living adjustment? I do. I mean, these are primarily our, our, our seniors that we're talking about, or those getting close to those years. They worked for decades, decades in government jobs that didn't pay as much as private sector jobs. And the contract that we made with them, the agreement, was we will help you out on the back end. And right now, food costs so much, prescription drugs are going up all the time. Thank God gas has come down about a dollar in the last 90 or, or so days. But, but the present is challenging. And yes, I think we need a cost of living adjustment uh, for our retirees. Uh, they're folks that worked really hard to help us get to the point that we're at where our economy can take off, where we can not only leapfrog 10 other states' economies, but be a top 10 state economy. And we wouldn't be here but for those retirees. This November, Kentucky voters will be asked to consider whether the legislature should be able to call itself into special session for 12 days annually. Uh, right now, that power belongs to you as governor. Uh, this would be an amendment to the Constitution. Do you uh, think that uh, should be done, that change to the Constitution? It is not only dangerous, but it is expensive and creates uh, incentives for legislators to call themselves into special session just to get paid more. Listen, legislation, legislators are supposed to be part-time. It's a part-time job. That's what our Constitution set up. But already for that part-time job, they make more than the average Kentuckian in their full-time job. And now they want the power to call themselves in any time for any reason for any number of days and they get paid even more for that. Uh, basically, you would allow the legislature to, to potentially be in session every day of the year and you, the taxpayer, have to pick up that tab. Uh, listen, if you believe in limited government, full-time legislature is the wrong thing. Voters will also be asked, Governor, to decide whether the state constitution can be construed to allow abortion in the Commonwealth, and the state Supreme Court appears to want a signal from the people before it rules on this trigger law that essentially has banned abortion in the state. Do you believe Kentucky voters should ratify or defeat that amendment? I think Kentucky voters uh, believe that that current trigger law is extremist. It's in fact, it's one of the most extremist laws in the country. It eliminates uh, options for everyone. Uh, victims of rape or incest have zero options under that trigger law. Uh, listen, when you've been the top prosecutor, you see these instances of 12 or, or 13 year olds molested and impregnated by family members. And this trigger law would require them to carry their rapist baby, that the rapist would have more rights 
than that little girl that's been violated. That is really wrong. It's really extremist. And I think voters should send a message. That, listen, people can, can uh, feel different ways about this issue, but this level of extremism, I think virtually no one agrees with. Governor, your re-election campaign has been raising money off the prospect of a wealthy Republican candidate getting into the race. Uh, on the day that we uh, taped this, uh, Kelly Craft entered the race this week. Uh, what is your reaction? Well, listen, the campaign does what, what it does. I'm not focused on 2023. I'm focused on um, stabilizing and rebuilding areas that we love in eastern and western Kentucky that have been hit by awful natural disasters. That's where I've been this weekend in eastern Kentucky. And I'm focused on building an economy of the future that'll provide more opportunities than we ever thought possible for my kids and everybody else's. We have jobs announcements day after day, uh, beating out other states. For the first time in my lifetime, the biggest companies in America and the world are choosing us for their biggest investments. Amazon's biggest investment ever is in Kentucky. Ford's biggest investment ever is in uh, Kentucky. I'm a whole lot more worried uh, or, or a whole lot more focused on, on just doing my job and the best I can. And I think everybody, everything will work out uh, as long as you know, I try to do the very best I can each and every day and not worry about the silly well, stuff. Is it intriguing to you, though, to, to see the Republican primary get uh, very crowded? Uh, uh, you know, do you have any concerns that the, the energy and the attention that will be on the Republican side uh, going into next year and eventually uh, as they settle their primary? Listen, with, that, with everything we faced these last three years, uh, being a governor that had to lead during COVID, two ice storms, uh, the worst tornadoes we've ever seen, the worst flooding we've ever seen, the challenges of inflation and the economic impacts of, of this war in Europe. I just don't get caught up uh, in what's going on in an election or, or the other side. There are a lot more important things in life, and I'm going to focus on those more important things. Governor Andy Bashir, thanks for giving us a few minutes of time. We appreciate it very much. Thank you very much. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Earlier, we referenced the WKYT Investigates report on some who receive state pensions and feel they should get an increase as we're all dealing with inflation these days. WKYT's Garrett Weimer will join me in just a moment and we'll discuss that after his report on the situation for some on fixed incomes. Looking back, I loved hearing people's stories. There's a lot Retha Thaxton liked about her job. We had return guests that came back year after year after year. Thaxton worked at Cumberland Falls in the 70s and 80s. I'm blind and was almost blind when I worked there, but there were voices that I actually recognized. They come and talk to you like you were a friend. She retired early for health reasons, now lives with her sister in McCreary County. We get by the best we can. Yet for all that's changed over the years, heartfelt losses, new additions to the family. For the past decade plus, the pension check that comes every month has stayed the same, even as costs continued to climb. But for the grace of God and a wonderful sister, I could be on the street. 
body shall come to order. The last cost of living hike for Kentucky Public Pensions Authority retirees, including state workers like Faxton, took effect in July 2011. There's some very good things in this bill, some very basic things. Two years later, lawmakers made some changes. All members voted. Senate Bill 2 in 2013 put a provision in that said essentially two things. Uh, if you're going to do a cost of living adjustment, the plan has to be at least 100% funded. And we're a long way from that. And we probably won't be there until late 2040s, the way the projections are right now. Um, or they can pre-fund it. That, too, comes with a high price tag. Actuaries estimate pre-funding a 1.5% adjustment for all retirees would cost $352 million. Pre-funding an indefinite 1.5% annual increase would cost $6 billion. Yeah, that's an enormous drain on the, on, the, on the state's budget. Experts say adding to the pension plan's liabilities by not paying ahead of time for benefit increases is part of what created the state's pension crisis in the first place, along with lawmakers underfunding the plans. Beginning of 2013, the legislature has done several things to, to help us get these plans better funded. And it, anything that added to the liability without, uh, without pre-funding is, is going to be detrimental. Public Pensions Authority Executive Director David Eager says they're chipping away at a $25 billion shortfall. He says it's likely to take until 2049 to get to 100%. You certainly know you're not the only one. For Thaxton, I don't think I'll need to worry about it. She knows a solution still 27 years away is unlikely to help her. She also realizes with the steep price tag, more immediate help likely isn't feasible. But it doesn't make paying that pile of bills any easier. I still feel like we're being left behind. And we're being left behind by someone, you know, the state that promised us better when we were given our best. In McCreary County, Garrett Weimer, WKYT. And Garrett joins me here now. So Social Security uh, recipients, and that's most people, will mm -hmm. get a uh, cost of living adjustment. Looks significant uh, coming up. This is state retirees, right, who get state pensions? That, that's right. Yeah, you mentioned Social Security. They get a cost of living adjustment uh, every year. Last year, this past year, it was 6%, which sizable but still well behind the rate of inflation. Uh, the decision on that's going to come in mid-October. They base that on inflation data from July, August, and September. These state pension uh, retirees for the state pension, the last time they got one was July of 2011. So, uh, Garrett, you know, the law is pretty clear that unless these state pension funds are fully funded, and it is going to be many years before that happens, if the legislature stays on track to do what it is uh, doing right now with its current plan. So for there to be an increase, it would require a change in law, right, legislation? It would require a change in law or saying, hey, we've got the money to pay for this. And I mentioned the price tag in that piece, $352 million for a one-time 1.5% uh, one adjustment. It would be $6 billion if you want to uh, fund a 1.5% annual increase. Uh, so, yeah, the law is clear. Uh, you either have to have a, a program that is fully funded, which isn't going to happen until 
probably 2049, or you have to be able to pre-fund uh, that increase because part of what got the state into the pension crisis, again, as I mentioned, was these unfunded cost of living adjustments from, 20, uh, from 2008 to 2012, unfunded uh, cost of living adjustments added close to $1.5 billion in unfunded liabilities to the state's pension systems. Although Governor Bashir indicated in our interview earlier that he is for making an exception in this case, so we'll see if, if, if it all goes to the legislature likely uh, in January. Uh, you recently did a report on all the shootings in Lexington. It seems that you know, we're just reporting those day after day, sometimes multiple times a day. A tremendous concern in the community. A big issue here from a lot of uh, advocacy groups, just regular citizens. Obviously, it's a big a topic in the mayor's race. Uh, it, it's a big issue, violence in, in Lexington right now. We recently did a piece uh, just kind of trying to explain what group violence intervention is. There are some loud calls for that and also some loud calls not to uh, implement it. Uh, so we just kind of look to try to break down what exactly is it, what does it look like, that kind of thing. And, and also took a look at, at some of the factors and dynamics that what drives Lexington violence? And we got our hands on a report from a couple of years ago that kind of really looked at some of those uh, factors. So uh, an interesting kind of data-driven piece there. When you uh, work on stories under the uh, WKYT Investigates umbrella, you have a little more time to look into things, you mm -hmm. dig a little deeper and that sort of thing, right? Absolutely. We try to kind of uh, go past just the surface level and look into the data, look into the trends, uh, and, and that kind of thing gives us uh, the ability to, uh, uh, to, to dig into uh, some of those things that uh, you can't you can't necessarily just uh, give a quick uh, mm -hmm. quick treatment with. And you've recently come off our weekend, so you're working more with this, but you also That's do right. our 6.30 evening news on the CW Lexington. Great little catch-up newscast if people are just getting in, right? Exactly. Just getting in, we hit kind of the high points of uh, of the early evening uh, news shows and get you set up uh, for, for your evening at home. If people want to contact you, maybe they have a story idea, how do they do that? Easiest way is to email us, investigates at uh, wkyt.com. Garrett Weimer, thanks for coming by and for your report. We appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. Stay with us. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. We do appreciate you being along for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. In the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to more of the candidates as we're getting closer and closer to the November election that's coming up and some issues on the ballot as well, including two constitutional amendments. So a lot to discuss in the weeks ahead. We'll also soon be talking to the group Lexington for Everyone and their concerns about some of the planning issues in the community. That's Kentucky Newsmakers for this week. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you make it a good week ahead.